changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with your daily dose of Chicken Soup for the Soul inspiration. It's Friend Friday, and today we have a special guest, Ron Kaiser. Ron teaches English in Laconia, New Hampshire, which is on the other side of Lake Winnipesaukee from my daughter's wedding last weekend. So uh, I was right up in your neighborhood, Ron. Ron received his master's degree in English literature from the University of New Hampshire, and writing is his second passion. Well, actually, his third passion, because he always talks about his beautiful wife, and he always tells us he can't believe that she actually married him. So that's what we think of when we think of Ron, that he's a wonderful husband who's grateful for his wife. So, Ron, thanks for coming on the podcast today, and welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. Now, Ron, you are one of our most prolific writers. I think I have this right. I think that we have published 15 of your stories in 11 of our books, unless I'm missing some. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. That's right. So, and we always know when we get a story from you that it's going to be really fun. I don't know if we've ever not taken one of your stories. Have we ever not taken one? Chicken Soup for the Soul has not taken probably 20 of my stories. But that's because I write rapidly and, and send them out. And uh, sometimes they hit, sometimes they miss. Um, but uh, I always feel that Chicken Soup for the Soul takes the ones that are of the highest quality and that I've put the most of my soul into. For, we have good taste I, then. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, I, and I, have, I really enjoy uh, writing Chicken Soup for the Soul. It really gives me an opportunity to reflect on my own life as, as well as tell a good story. The way it works is that it's pretty amazing that we've taken almost half of the stories you've submitted because for most of our books, we'll get, oh, in the old days, we'd get like three or 4,000 submissions. But these days, we're getting more like five or 6,000 submissions for every book. And we only have 101 spots. So it's, wow. really, it's really hard to get in. And so it's a, it says something about your writing, that you have gotten so many stories into our books. What is it like being a teacher and also being a, a very often published author? Well, I have to say, um, I love teaching and I love writing. I'm an English teacher. And so that is really the perfect marriage of my passions uh, because both of them really have to do with my love for language. And that really pervades every aspect of my life. Teaching is, is wonderful. The, the, I guess the hardest part about teaching is that you really never get to see any um, concrete result of your work. Uh, and I was having a conversation with another teacher a little while ago. We were looking out the window, and we were seeing uh, that next to us, they were building an uh, addition on the school. And every day, we'd have lunch, and we'd watch more concrete blocks be put down, and the building got higher and higher, and eventually, it was beautiful. And I said, man, it must be great to be able to actually see the result of your work when you're done. Um, the most, as a teacher, you're going to get is you're going to run into somebody in a grocery store in 10 years, and they'll thank you or even say that they remember you and that your class was fun. And, uh, and you know you're doing good work, but it can be tough not seeing the results of it, um, you know, at least in a visual way. Oh, that makes total sense, because every time I make a book, six weeks after I send it off to the printer, they send me a big box of books, and I can hold my baby. It's really wonderful. Now, we have a new book that's coming well, actually, it's just come out. It's called um, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Inspiration for Teachers. And then you were in a past book that we made for teachers called Teacher Tales. And the reason we make those books is to show teachers that they do make a difference because we have the stories of appreciation from their former students. And we also have teachers talking about running into that student 
10 years later in the grocery store and, and what the student tells them about how their life was changed. One of the reasons we do it is we know that there is a national teacher shortage and there's a lot of trouble with teacher retention. So what would you tell a new teacher to get a new teacher to hang in there and not leave in the first few years, which I know is a big problem with teachers leaving within the first five years? It's true. Um, well, there are a couple of things. You have to be able to um, be friendly with the students, but, but also be able to be objective and, you know, be able to handle it when a student is upset and not let that ruin your whole week. Um, that's important. But I think the most important thing is you have to really love what you teach. You have to love your content area, whether it's math or science or English. Um, for me, uh, language has always been a love, and that carries me through days that, that are tough because as a teacher, you get, I get to stay in touch with the language. Like I tell my students all the time, look, I'm getting older. I'm going to die before all of you. Language doesn't belong to me. Language belongs to you. It belongs to the young. They're the future. And so I get to experience language as it's changing on a daily basis. For example, the other day, a student said, Mr. Kaiser, that test was beast last week. And I said, wait a minute, you mean it was a beast? And they said, no, it was beast. And I was shocked. I said, beast is an adjective? Oh, my goodness. Said, yeah, I guess it is. I said, wow, I am actually here, like, listening to language change, and that, that's how it occurs. People start using it and makes it into the dictionary. Um, so it's exciting for me to be able to, you know, get in touch with the kids and, and see language changing. Um, you know, and, and that, that's always been a joy of mine as an English teacher. Um, it, it's been fun to hear, you know, what the, what the young people have to say. Yeah, you know, recently, all of a sudden, I'm seeing this term, hot mess, in stories submitted by people. I'm like, what is hot mess? I never heard of this. And all of a sudden I'm seeing it. Have you been hearing that term? Oh, yes. Yes. A hot mess is somebody, somebody who's, I, I think it's, they're sort of exciting and they have a lot going on. Their life's full of drama. I've, I've heard, or I'll hear kids throw on the term lit is really, is really current now. They'll say, Mr. Kaiser, my, my essay is lit. And I'll say, oh my gosh, put it out. Like, no, lit actually means cool or good. And I can't even keep up with all the changes. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, though, those changes in language really bother me. There's a word that is such a good word and has such a specific meaning, and it's used wrong all the time, especially by lawyers. And that's the word presently, which means in the near future. It's not the equivalent of currently. It drives me crazy because presently is well, such a good word. I didn't even know that that distinction. So I've got to remember that myself. And I'm an English teacher. But, you know, because so many people are using presently as the equivalent of currently now, the dictionaries are starting to allow it. And it just makes me sad because what a cool, precise word. When you say to somebody, I'll be there presently, you mean I'll be there in the very near future. But if presently starts to mean currently, we've now lost a very useful word. And I've had lawyers send me documents to sign. Like I remember when I was on Wall Street, I had to sign something saying I didn't have any inside information about a particular stock. And the lawyer sent it to me and, and it said, I don't presently have inside information on this stock. And I rejected it and I sent it back to her. I said, I can't sign something saying that I don't have inside information on a stock in the near future because the near future hasn't occurred at this time. So I can't sign this document. You have to change it to currently. I think she thought I was an ogre, but I wanted to be precise. You've got to hold the line. You know, I think language is important. And also, my, I've got a, a wonderful uh, son named William who's six. And children are another great way to hear language being used in a different way. For example, a little while ago, my son is staring at my cat who's on the dresser. And the cat had his eyes closed, looked like he was meditating, he was probably sleeping. And my son said, Daddy, 
I think our cat is trying to believe himself. And I thought for a minute, what? Oh my gosh, maybe you're right. <laughs> I don't know what cats think about. But just the, his experiments with language, you know, especially of children, is, uh, is just always a matter of interest for me because uh, some of the things they say are so funny. Yeah, like when you tell them to behave and they say, I am having. <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I know that you were recently um, in New Hampshire and uh, Wolf Bar, your daughter's wedding, and, and you might have encountered some, uh, they, they definitely have some different language around here. I have read some, uh, some uh, relatives from up north around the um, 74th parallel or so in New Hampshire, around uh, Ossipee. Uh, the language starts to change. And my relatives, you know, I used to think they were lumberjacks. And I'd say, oh, so how's it being a lumberjack? And they'll always correct my language up there into their version of it. Well, see, I'm not a lumberjack. I'm a woodcutter. I'll say, oh, oh okay. And they'll, they'll use words, for instance, like uh, my cousin told me he got in a fight a little while ago on the side of the road. And I couldn't believe this. And I said, well, what happened? Did, did you punch him? And he said, no, I bond-doored him. And I said, oh, what? Oh, barn-doored? Yeah, he said he reached back from the graveyard and he barn doored somebody. <laughs> and I was thinking, barn door's a verb? Like, when did that? Oh, like a barn door slamming shut. That's, and I was that's astounded. Funny. I've never had my, my language corrected as much as when I'm up north and they're, and they're putting it into their version of things. Yeah, my daughter has a little cabin up in Bethlehem, which is about an hour south mm-hmm. of Canada. And uh, yes, sir. yeah, yeah, it's definitely different up there. Although the, the most. I guess the, the, my strongest impression of what it's like up there is those black flies. Unfortunately, <laughs> it takes that's a true. month. We are, we are known for that. It takes a month to recover from those black fly bites in northern New Hampshire. So you have oh, a really true. cool story that I love. It actually occurred in Vermont, not New Hampshire. But I laughed out loud reading this story, and it was actually in one of our books for teachers. It was Chicken Soup for the Soul: Teacher Tales. And it's about a field trip you went on. Can you? Tell us that story. Absolutely. This was uh, my first teaching job, and I did not – I finished my, the season at this place, but I did not go back. Uh, and uh, there's this really, really strange day where, um, you know, there was a, uh, a young girl who had gotten injured, and her jaw was wired shut. And I was asked to bring her on a field trip to a local uh, animal preserve like a wildlife center in Vermont, in the Green Mountains. And so I, I agreed. I, I had resisted at first, and I asked the principal, maybe this girl should stay back. I'm afraid she'll get injured. And they said, no, you know, she'll be fine. So we took her, and I'm standing in there with – and this is a school for kids who had had a rough time of things, for sure. Um, and most of the kids didn't trust the adults very much because their life experiences were tough. And this girl didn't know me and didn't trust me. And uh, I was inside one of the animal exhibits and uh, just looking around at the kids to make sure they were safe. Uh, and I heard a, a loud knock, and then I heard her scream. And I turned around, and the girl was holding her head, but she was bleeding from her mouth. And so I was telling her, okay, you need to come with me. We need to bring you somewhere to a hospital or to the first aid station. But she was shaking her head. And so I decided I was 25, and I, I, wanted, I was afraid she was going to you know, choke on her blood. So I had to pick her up and run with her through this place. And I had blood on my shirt. And there were uh, staff trying to stop me, people telling me. They looked like I basically was trying to steal her to them, probably. I had, our, our school didn't have a uniform. So I run all the way through the place, and I put her in the van. And I'm saying, it's okay, it's okay, we're going to get you there, it's okay. But she wouldn't calm down, she was screaming. Luckily, another little boy who was at the school said, hey, I want to come with. And I said, fine, you know, I just need to get her there. And so we get in, I get her buckled in in the back, but she's still, you know, flailing around and screaming. And this little angel said, hey, put on some hip-hop music. 
And so I did as we're driving, and she instantly stopped screaming and started bopping around. And I thought, thank God for this kind child who wanted to come around, come with. I have no idea why. So I arrive at the dentist's office with her, and they're going to, you know, hopefully uh, fix her teeth and her palate, uh, which was torn and or broken. And uh, the dentist was closed. So I'm waiting there. Well, you know, I made a phone call. So another van was going to come pick her up and bring her to Boston Children's Hospital. And as I'm standing there in the parking lot, uh, I, I turned the music up, and I let the kids dance because it was keeping her calm. I've got blood all over me. She has blood all over her. It probably looked like the worst and most morbid dance party ever. Um, and as we're standing here, I look across the street, and I see there's a woman on a cordless phone looking at me and talking. And I thought, that's the look of a person who's calling the police on somebody. <laughs> and so uh, the police showed up, and there were uh, several police cars, a couple of Vermont state troopers, who basically made a ring around us without saying anything and slowly started walking walking toward us. And I yelled to them, how you doing? And they said, hey, can you get out your ID, please, and put your hands where we can see them? And I said, okay. So I, you know, I gave them my ID. They came in, and they said, oh, so what are you doing here, you know, in a pretty accusatory tone? And I said, well, I'm with, the, you know, this certain school. And they said, oh, really? Uh, that doesn't sound like a real school. But they made phone calls, and sure enough, it was. And uh, they thought that I was a pedophile that was trying to lure kids in and possibly beat them up, I guess, uh, using hip-hop music in a parking lot. <laughs> and so that is when I knew that that was uh, probably my last, you know, my, my last season at that job. Well, it made for a great chicken soup for this whole story in our teacher book. So I, I loved it. I'm so glad you told it to us today. We're going to wrap up now, and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Well, thank you, and I love Chicken Soup of the Soul, and I really, I, I, I'm happy and proud to be part of what you were doing, which is helping to you know, revitalize people's lives by having so many good messages and heartwarming stories in your books. Well, thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. I'm Amy Newmark. If you want to read one of our inspiring books for teachers or pick up a gift for a teacher, we have two. The new one that's in stores right now, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Inspiration for Teachers, and the one that Ron's story is in, which is available from Barnes & Noble and Amazon, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Teacher Tales. Come back Monday for more about teachers. I'm going to share a story and a poem from our new book about inspiring teachers, and they're all about the passion and purpose of teachers and how being a teacher is really a calling. 